Tonight we're going to look a little bit uh, at, at a few things. Then next Wednesday night we'll do introduction B. And introduction B, we're going to cover a couple of things, kind of the outline of Luke. We're going to cover, uh, talk about some of the major people in the book of Luke that you need to understand who they are to really understand what's going on. It's going to, this will enrich your reading of the book of Luke. And we're going to look at a couple of major uh, events, kind of things that happen uh, in the book of Luke. And, and as you read them and as you get through them, some kind of recurring themes that happen and why Jesus does these things. Uh, because they, the, all of these things will help us come to think. The, the theme of this whole series is faith with certainty. So let's, let's stand together, and you'll see as we read the start of this book why it's faith with certainty. Uh, Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who, who from the beginning where eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, nobody's really sure who Theophilus was, except that he's probably, uh, uh, you know, a Gentile ruler of some sort that had influence. And listen to what he says to him, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. The whole purpose of Luke is to help us have certainty about the things we've been taught, to grow in faith and to grow in the understanding the revelation of what God's doing among us. Father, build our faith today, build our strength today in you. And help us to have an understanding. Let us lay, these next two weeks, let us lay a foundation so as we dive in to some of the things that happen in the, throughout the book of Luke that we will be really enriched by them and understand them. In Jesus' name, amen. As we, uh, as we just said, in the opening verses of Luke, we find the main purpose of the book. Uh, to build certainty in the lives of this guy. And now God has preserved this word so it can build certainty in, in our lives. And that's what we want to do. We'll probably stay in the book of Luke uh, throughout this uh, fall session, the next eight, nine weeks. And then when we come back after Christmas, we'll probably spend at least the next eight or nine weeks uh, looking again uh, through the book of, uh, of Luke. If you really want to get in depth with this on your own, here's what you can do. If you just read two chapters a day of the book of Luke, you'll read through this book every 12 days. Uh, if you do three chapters, you'll read through it every eight days. And I would encourage you to do that at least three or four times, uh, to just read this book. I found that when you... When, that you can still do all your other devotional stuff, but if you'll begin to read this book and begin to write, write down what stands out to you, write down questions, you can send me questions that you have of things you may read. Uh, but as you begin, you'll begin to capture themes, you'll begin to capture truth, 
especially after next week when we spend time and talk about some of the things you'll find throughout the book of Luke and why they're there, and even a little bit after today. Luke takes us on a journey in his namesake book all the way from the beginning of, of, of the birth of Christ through the, book, you know, through the book of Acts. It starts with Zechariah in the temple. The people are waiting for a Messiah to come. They're under the thumb of the rule of the Roman Empire, and they are looking for the Messiah who's going to come in their thought, in their mind. He is going to come in power. He's going to come as the lion. He's going to throw off the shackles of Rome. And it's into this kind of setting that Luke begins this journey with us to tell us uh, what happens. It moves to Nazareth, Nazareth, and a virgin girl in Bethlehem, and the birth of a baby uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, birth of a baby in a barn that was really a cave. Thirty years later, this baby bursts onto the scene, and he comes into Galilee, and he begins to speak to the major issues of the day. Now, it, it helps us when you read the book of Luke if you understand the times. The Jewish people, uh, the Jewish religious people in particular, are full of pride and religion. Uh, They're full of structural things that they do and pride in how they do it. They see themselves as the chosen ones. And they they are the chosen ones through which Jesus was gonna come. They missed this fact that they, were cho- that they were chosen and that the Messiah would come. And one of the clear things that God said to Abraham at the beginning is you will be a blessing to the nations. They, they miss that. They completely, that doesn't really explain what they think that meant. All, to them, all other people, all the Gentiles are are dogs. All of us who weren't born of Jewish people, in their eyes, if you'd have been there in their eyes, we are just dogs. We are destined to punishment and to hell. We're not a part of the predestined for heaven. We are not a part of the elect for eternal life. We are uh, in, in, you know, rejected by God, separated from God, n- very little hope to ever find God, a few Jewish converts, but that's it. They miss the clear call of the word for, for them to be this conduit of an answer to the problems of the world. They are awaiting a powerful redeemer in their image. That is the, the, the culture of the you know, in, a, in, in brief, of the Jewish leadership at that time and one of the main reasons they didn't like Jesus and the things he was saying, uh, the, the way Jesus was presenting. As you read through this, you, you read through it, and you begin to see the things Jesus was saying, with that mindset, he wasn't one of them, he wasn't empowering them, he wasn't trying, he was challenging them he was challenging the way they saw the world. 
He was challenging them culturally and spiritually. He was challenging them about even how the Messiah was going to come onto this earth, and they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. And when you understand how they saw the world, you understand why they didn't like Jesus and why they rejected him, why they didn't like what he was doing, why they would get upset when he healed people on the Sabbath. That wasn't part of their religious stuff. And you're sitting there going, man, he just healed that guy. Shouldn't everybody be partying? You know, shouldn't it? And they're going, oh, you can't do that on the Sabbath. What's wrong with you? You're not meeting our religious rules and you're throwing, turn everything upside down. They, they were upset about all that stuff. It's the spirit. At the same time, you have the Roman culture. The Roman culture is one of power, pride, and pleasure. It's important to know that you can't take American culture where we're at today and superimpose it upon Roman culture and think, okay, we've got a match. It's not a match. Christian teaching, Christian understanding of life and the value of life uh, and, and individual value is common to us, but that came out of Christianity. That came out of the influence of Christianity upon the cultures of the world, and you go to other cultures of the world where Christianity has not been dominant, and you don't find it there, the value of life that we have. Now, that's being robbed from us, that the, 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 the secular world is trying to take that out. They don't even know what they're doing when they try to take that out. But it is devastating and destructive. Uh, humility and service are for the weak. There was not a culture that humility of humility and considering other people, like in our Constitution, that all, you know, in our, 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 our declaration, that all men are created equal. That's, that's not in the culture that, of that day. That was, that was foreign to them. I mean, absolutely, unbelievably foreign. Just like if you would go to other cultures of the world and discover some of the things that they do. This idea of all people being created by God and every life is valuable uh, was foreign. People of service, you were of service because you were weak. You were, of, you, you were a servant because you didn't have power. And the life of a servant was not to be honored, wasn't honored or respected. It was, you are my servant. And so the higher in power you are, the, the better you are. Think about this. The Roman father can abort his child up to two years of age without any question. He can just decide, I don't like this kid. I don't like the way they're living. I don't think they're healthy. I don't think they're going to be a benefit to me. And he can kill that kid's life. And we sit there and go, oh, that's shocking. That's what's coming to America. When, when right now we can say a baby can be born, we can set it over on a table and wait to see if the mom wants to keep it alive or not, that's where we're headed. I mean, that's, you say, oh, pastor, we don't do it. That's exactly what they're doing right now. 
Now, that, that just got my head buried in the sand if you don't understand that's what's going on right now. Uh, the Roman master, get this, the Roman master can kill his servant, his slave, no questions asked. If he decides, I don't, the slave I've got, don't like him, he can kill him, and no questions asked. He is the ultimate authority over his home, no human rights. They rule with an iron fist. As we look at some of the rulers that you'll deal with throughout the book of Luke, you'll see the mindset of these people. They're not worried about justice. They're not worried about human rights. They're not worried about whether something is seen publicly as right or wrong. They're worried about keeping order and keeping everything under their power and they rule with an with ultimate power of life and death with an iron this is why we see that Herod can say go to Bethlehem and kill the babies and nothing happens to him nothing happens to him except God judges him but mankind doesn't judge him they reluctantly appease people in the conquered lands. It's reluctant. They just come to this point of, well, the only way we can really, you know, rule this group of people is if we let them do some things. But they mock them. They don't find them to be a benefit other than to use them to control people. They worship many gods, and the greater and the more powerful they become, they begin to see themselves as gods to the point that Caesar demands worship, which becomes this basis for, uh, for the uh, uh, martyrdom of a lot of Christians who refuse to bow and worship to him because they can only bow and worship to Jesus. Uh, they demand that others serve them. A Roman soldier can compel anyone he wishes throughout the empire. He can compel anybody he wishes. If he's traveling in any way, maybe going on assignment or leaving assignment, going, he's, he can compel anybody he sees to carry his baggage for him for a mile. He can just come, he just, he just sees you, he says, here's my stuff. I'm going this way, let's go. And this is why in the, in, 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 the, in, in, in the Jewish people set up markers all around the outside of their village a mile away. So that when they got to that mile, boom, they throw the stuff down and back they go. He can't compel them any farther. And it's why Jesus says, if, you, if you're compelled to go a mile, go to. That's, that's shocking news. That's, how can he say something like that news? These people are our conquerors. We hate them. We don't want them here. And you're telling us to go another mile with them? Are you kidding me? But this is, this, this is Jesus working to transform culture. This is Jesus 
looking to say, let's do something that will transform how we see others and how, because of the way we treat others, they will see us. He is raising, all through the book of Luke, he is raising the value of life and he's attacking prejudice. He's attacking immorality. He's attacking all of this stuff and this hatred. It's why you hear Jesus talking about love your enemies. Why? They had real enemies. I mean, living among them. Not just somebody at work who, you know, doesn't treat them nice. They have conquering enemies among them that can demand things from them. So they've set up these mile markers, and Jesus is speaking right to it. So understand this as you read through the book of, the book of, of Luke. Respect of life is not a part of the culture of the Roman Empire. And it's not even that much of a part of the culture of the Jewish Empire if it gets in the way of what they want. Love for people is not, and, and their mindset as a culture, love for your enemies is definitely not in the mindset of the culture. Seeing others as equal is foreign to their thoughts. It is into this world that unbeknownst to either group that the king of kings is born bent on transforming lives and changing the world and we today are better off for it. Now the story starts in humility in Bethlehem. It will spread as he gets older. It spreads to Galilee and then to, to Jerusalem, and eventually the Jewish leaders, the Roman government, conspire to silence this strange voice. They think they've killed him, but really they've just planted the eternal seed of light, and within 100 years, the message of a risen Savior will be alive, and Jesus will be worshipped, listen, in every corner of the Roman Empire and in Rome itself. Luke tells us the story of how it, be, how it began, how it overcame, and how it spread. He tells us that story in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Tertullian, uh, who was a writer in those days, wrote at the end, he said at the end of the second century, this is his quote, at the end of the second century, Christians were filling the palace, the senate, the forum, and the camp, leaving their temples only to the heathen. This message of transformational love, this message of redemption, this message of there being one God and only one God, this message of a risen Savior, this message of all people are valuable and equal, this message of God was beginning to bring transformation into all the Roman Empire. Christianity was on the move. The call to disciple the world was moving forward against all odds, and, be, and it was all happening because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Luke is setting up the work of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus that when he is crucified and risen again and he goes to heaven to intercede for us, that the Holy Spirit will come and empower the messengers and empower the message and it will explode into the known world. It's a wonderful story. He would also write about Africa, say, the per, to persecute the Christian at this time, the close of the second century, would be to decimate Carthage. He said, there's so many Christians there, you'd just, be, you'd just be wipe out the whole city. Now, this is one of the standards of certainties that we hang our hats on. Here are two powerful cultures established uh, in the power of their way, killing a revolutionary thinking, thinker and persecuting his followers. Established, in place, cultures coming against this new group that, that, are, that are now called Christians because they're trying to act like Christ, trying to live by his standards. And instead of being stamped out by these powerful, powerful cultures, that, that, that this culture, even though the, the, they're more powerful, this culture overcomes them on the foundation that this dead leader is really alive and his message is transformational and begins to change the world. This is one of the reasons we sit here today, friend, is because of that transformational message. And it has brought change through the world in some places slower than others. And there's been setbacks in the process, but God's message always resurrects in life, always eventually overcomes. That's why we can sit here today and say, wow, American culture is going the wrong way. It's overwhelming. The message of the day of accepting things as, as right that are really sin, of rejection of God and turning away from God, that we have a choice. We can either engage in the battle and pray and seek God and find victory, or we can turn our head the other way and be quiet and not trust God, not put our faith in God and be overcome. The outcome of that is always in the hands of the church. It's not in the hands of the cult. It was not in the hands of the Roman Empire. They thought it was. It wasn't in the hands of the Jewish nation. The Jewish leaders thought it was. It's always in the hands of the church. And when a spirit-filled church arose in Jerusalem and began to do what God told them to do, it overcame all the cultural stuff. This is impossible on its own. Luke's writing strikes to the very core of the events and teaching of Jesus that will transform hearts and cultures. We need to make sure that our hearts have been transformed by it. We need to make sure that we uh, have really been cleansed from the cancer of the world that would attach itself to our spirits and our souls, and that we have really been cleansed by the Word of God. Now, here's the second part of the question for tonight. So this is, this is one of these acts of certainty. We look and say, wow, look what Christianity overcame to still be alive today. Now here's, here's the second question. Can we be certain that what we read is what really happened? 
You may have uh, played the game where you sit in a big circle with people and, and somebody starts a statement at the beginning and it rotates through the group and by the time it gets through 10 or 15, 20 people, what happens? The statement's transformed, it's not the same. And if you listen to people, if you listen to the, the culture of the day or some of the elite teachers of the day, they would tell you that's what's happened to Christianity. It got morphed and changed by, you know, people along the way and Jesus didn't really say these things and we can't be really be certain uh, of what he said. But, but understand this, there are two basic rules of certainty with historical reporting. The first rule is this, how close in time to the events or the original writing is our present day information? How close is it? Is it, is it close or is it distant? Because the closer you get to the time of the events and to the original writing, the better off you are to be able to say, we think we've got the truth here. And second is how many copies do we have and do they contain the same information? Now, if you were here last year, Rick, Rick McHugh was, was here and he shared some of this information with me. But let me, let me quickly uh, let me pop it up on the screen if they can. And we'll, we'll look at this. So uh, Caesar, the author Caesar, he wrote a book. He wrote that book uh, 100 to, uh, between 144 B.C. The earliest copy we have of the book, they have of the book, is A.D. 900, 1,000-year time span, 10 copies. That's the most we've got. Then you've got Plato, which everybody likes to study in college. Uh, and here's some of his writings written 427 B.C. to 347 B.C., uh, earliest copies that we have, 900, 80, 900, 1,200 years, seven copies. Aristotle, 384 uh, to 322 B.C., earliest copies, A.D. Uh, 1100, uh, 1,400 years, five copies. Homer, the Iliad, 750 to 700 B.C. is written in that time, earliest copy, uh, 200 500 years uh, apart, and this is the one that's closest uh, to the church, 643. Now you look at the New Testament. Written between A.D. 40 and A.D. 100. Between A.D. 40 and A.D. 100, shortly after the death and resurrection of Christ. While the apostles were still alive, because they're the guys who wrote it, most of it. While the early church was still living. And from them, the earliest copies that we have of the entire thing are about A.D. 124, within the generation after they died, uh, 25 years. And we have over 24,000 pieces of evidence about it. That's, 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 that is a God thing, friends. That is a God thing. When people say, oh, the New Testament, you can't be trusted, you've got to look at them and say, well, you, you apply that same standard to all the rest of the things from ancient history? Is that the standard you, you apply to Plato? Is that the standard you apply to Aristotle? Is that the standard you, you apply to Because look, we have overwhelming evidence. Some people say that the New Testament was written much later. However, even when you look at those numbers that were just up there, we have many writings of the early church, very early, late first century, early second century, 
that, are, that contain quotes from the New Testament books. In fact, if you read the book that, that Rick gave us, had last year, Faith and Reason, this quote is in it. The early church fathers quoted the New Testament so frequently that if we did not have New Testament manuscripts, we could piece together practically the entire document, the entire New Testament, using the writings of the early church. So not only do we have these writings from about 125 A.D. and on that are manuscripts of the books that we read, we have the early church writers, even before we have their writing, even before those, that are quoting those books and talking about those books, so many of which that we could use those to produce the New Testament. Most unbiased scholars today confirm that the New Testament books were written within the first century. In other words, within 70 to 80 years of Christ's death and resurrection before the death of the eyewitnesses to the account. Now, how, how did the books come about? Uh, the early days of the church and the tradition uh, of the day is that it's mostly oral, teaching was oral. I mean, we know Jesus physically did not write anything that we know of. Everything was verbal. And the apostles took that teaching and they told the stories and they told the teachings of Jesus. It was a verbal process which was very, very common for the day. Now, that was fine while the church was small and while, while, it, was con- while, while it was confined to Jerusalem. But in the early days of the church, even though they had been compelled by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel, they stayed put. Had this great outpouring of the Spirit. People are getting saved. The church is being built. And they stayed put for a while there in Jerusalem. There wasn't a ton of them going out and doing things. This kept the teaching pure and kept the stories accurate because the apostles and the eyewitnesses were there. But the church grew, and persecution of the church happened. And when persecution happened, it caused people to flee. The church dispersed. It caused the church to flee to other communities. This is why we find in the book of Acts that now you know, Saul, soon to be called Paul, is on his way to where? Damascus to gather up believers and drag them back. It's, and wherever they go, guess what's, what they're doing? Wherever they go, they're telling the story, and people are getting, coming to Christ and putting faith in Christ. So the church has grown around the world, and so did the message. But with this, the message was in danger. The message was no longer in one place. It was no longer under the watchful eyes of the apostles. But now, people who've heard, they weren't eyewitnesses of the story. They don't have a bunch of other eyewitnesses around them. But now they have traveled to places. They have moved back to places. And they're telling the story. And they're 
talent the best they can. Maybe purposefully or unintentionally, uh, the story's beginning to get messed up. The growing church needed to know with certainty more than the simple message of Jesus risen from the dead. They needed a place to hang their hat on the teaching of Jesus. So somewhere in those very early days, the first gospel of the three synoptic gospels was written. Mark was written. It's the shortest of the gospel. It's simple. It's plain. It's to the point. There's not really much in it as far as historical tie-ins that we'll find in the book of Luke. Many stories are not there. A lot of accounts of certain things are not there. Most believe that Mark wrote this under the instruction of Peter to give a foundation to the growing church that they could now have something with certainty about what Jesus had done while he was alive. As time passes, as a short time passes, other books begin to circulate. Luke says this at the very beginning of the book of Luke. Many have undertaken to write a narrative. Many of those narratives were not accurate. They would be, in the early days of the church, they would be marked as inaccurate and dismissed. Within the first hundred years while many of the apostles are still alive is when we first begin to see them weeding out many of these writings and recognizing by the end of the first century these gospels are being recognized as scripture. There was greater, as many of of these books they offer greater detail, some right, some wrong. More and deeper information was needed in the church. It's at this time, as this mark is out there, it's beginning to circulate, there's a foundation, but there's still a lot of things going on, that more is needed. And Matthew uh, become, is, is the next one that's written, and shortly after that, Luke is written. So next week, we'll look at Luke, we'll look at at his faith, we'll look at his personal experience with God and some of the times and some of the unique things about the book of Luke. So, what were the timelines? Most believe that both Matthew and Luke were written before A.D. 70. Now, they believe that because of this. Listen to Luke 21.20. They quote Jesus. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, uh, then know that its de- desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart. And let those who are, who are out in the country enter, in, it, enter it. For those are days of vengeance to fulfill what is written. Alas for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath upon, against the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This is a direct quote from Jesus because of their rejection of him, of what was going to happen. That took place in about A.D. 70. There was a rebellion in Israel against Rome. 
Rome sent their armies in, and they devastated the place. They carried people off. Now, the reason we believe that these writings, Matthew and, and Luke, were written before A.D. 70 is Luke nor the other writers allude to it having happened. They never comment on it, which makes us assume that they didn't say, and that took place at such and such time. Now, we look back at it now, and we look at history, and we see it. So this leads the church to believe that the three Gospels were written in their present forms between A.D. 55 and A.D. 70 by, you know, throughout the rest of that time, we're seeing the early church writers quote them accurately in their writings, and by A.D. 125, we have copies of those writings that are accurate to what we see today. So all of that points to us to the accuracy of what we get. It shows that by the last decade of the first century, the first three Gospels have been written and are being used as as authoritative revelation of Christ or Christian teaching. Even during that time, uh, at the first, they are alluded to at that time in the writings of many of the of the early day leaders of the church as memoirs of the apostle of the apostles. Justin Martyr was born at the close of the first century and died uh, around A.D. 165. Justin Martyr's writings that that we have copies of A.D. 130 to 160. He says. Uh, in in his teaching, that for the most part, his teaching comes from records that rested on apostolic authority. In other words, he says, listen, all that I'm teaching, all that I'm doing, it all comes from apostolic authority. He He wouldn't have known the apostles. He'd have been too young to know them. But he's saying it, it comes from apostolic authority. And then he goes on to say he refers to the memoirs of the apostles. And listen to what he says. Two, he says, were written by apostles and two by their followers. Matthew was an, what was he? Apostle. Mark was a follower of the apostles. He was uh, you know, very connected to both Peter and later to Paul. He's this character that you know, comes with Barnabas and travels with him, then ditches him, and Paul's ticked off, and it makes a big schism between Paul and Barnabas. And then later we find Paul writing about Mark saying, hey, he's a great help to me. They, they, that relationship got healed. Now, most people think that Mark was, was written uh, by by Mark under the instruction of Peter. Then we have Luke, who was not an apostle, but was closely associated with Paul and closely associated with the church. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And then we have the book of John that was written by John, who was an Justin Martyr's already talking to me. He said, listen, we've got these we've got these readings, these writings that are the memoirs of the apostles two of which were written by them and two of which were written by those very closely associated with them. 
that was already being talked about in AD by AD 125, 130. So all of this points to us about the certainty we can have when we read uh, the New Testament. The church was very intent. It came from the Jewish tradition, very intent on keeping the written record accurate. So here we find the foundation of the book of Luke that is confirmed by the apostles, confirmed by the early church, and has been faithfully maintained to this very day. So, as we look at it, we look at this book, we look at this teaching, that cultures, as we study, you'll see more and more, how cultures would have been radically opposed to it, how it was overthrowing cultures, how it was changing the way cultures saw the world, how it was bringing life to people, how it was taking away all of the many gods and bringing it down to one revelation of God. And we see the accuracy of the writing because we have this, all of this historical evidence that points to us and says, no, what we're reading today is what they wrote years ago. And they're all saying, upon pain of death, they are all saying, this is about the risen Savior and his teaching. So I encourage you, begin to study this book with confidence. Begin to look for those things of where Jesus would be speaking that would cause, and as you're looking at some of the disruption, begin to ask, why is that disruption happening? What's taking place in there? What is God doing? And what does that say to us as we live in a culture that would tell us to be silent, that would tell us to accept things as, as, as right, that the Bible says is wrong? What does that say to us about our responsibility in the world that we live in? All right, is this a good start? Next week, we're going to talk about some of these main characters. We're going to talk about some of the main uh, kind of terminologies and, and illustrations, why Jesus uses certain illustrations as we go through this book, why he points out certain things. Uh, because I'm telling you, if, when you understand that, you understand how shocking it was what he was saying, how upsetting to the religious leaders it would be in what he was saying, and what kind of a cultural upheaval he was bringing to a broken world and how he wants to bring one to our world. All right, let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, we thank you for all things that point us with certainty uh, to your will. We thank you that you turn cultures over, that we don't live in a culture like Rome, even though there are some trying to drag us back into it. Father, we pray you'd rescue them. We pray you'd speak to them. Pray they would see the outcome of what they're doing. And Lord, we just pray that your son's name would be glorified in all we do. As we study this book over the next uh, few weeks and months, let our faith just explode in you and let certainty be ours in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord tonight.